You are now listening to The Ecosystem. Ecosystem. I'm your host, Kelly Eco. The NBA season is about a week old. There's so many storylines to get into, but today I wanted to focus on the rebuilding young Houston Rockets. And who better to have on than color commenter ATT's finest, Ron Hans? What's up, brother? Hey, what's going on, man? Thanks for having me. Yes, sir. You know, obviously the Rockets are 0 3, but everything isn't doom and gloom. You know, there's still things to take away from the from the first three games of the season. They're a top 10 in rebounding. Middle of the pack, you know, taking care of the basketball around top 10 and three-point percentage and makes. What have you seen early on from these guys that kind of gives you, you know, some kind of positive vibes? I think I see the depth of the team. You know, it definitely stands right. out this year. Uh, I see the maturity. You know, our guys went out this summer and they put in a lot of work and it shows. Uh, Jalen Green, you know, jumps out at me. You know, the difference from last year to this year, but the depth of of the team, um, the length now on the perimeter, you know, the ability to step in, you know, switch multiple positions. So there, there's so much that's changed from last year to this year. And, you know, keep in mind, you're on the road playing against Atlanta, who should be in the top five team in the East uh, on their opening night. You know, that's tough. And then you got a back-to-back where you're seeing Giannis, you know, the best player in the NBA in Milwaukee, that's tough. And then you see John Morant, the best point guard in the league, you know, that's tough. And keep in mind, the last time, if I'm not mistaken, they were in this building, uh, the Rockets beat them. So they didn't forget that. So, you know, these are three forgivable losses. I think it's a good thing you brought up, you know, the fact that the Hawks, Milwaukee, you know, two contenders. I think for the Rockets going into if you want to call this year two of the rebuild, you know, Steven Salas talked about wanting to show teams that this wasn't going to be an easy pushover game. It wasn't going to be, you know, a scratch off night. And I think for those young guys going in there and scrapping and fatting and battling, even though they're still dealing with injuries, you know, Bruno was out, you know, different guys, Jay Sean Tate was out. They were still able to go in and fight. I think for a young team, and, and you haven't been through this before too, what are some of the, the, kind of intangibles you can take away from these, like kind of the culture building, the habits you want to film as a young team, even though you go through losses like this? Well, you know, you want to be frustrated and there's a fine balance. You know, you, you want to be angry at the losses. You want to know that you're going to get better and, you know, that you want to, don't want to be in those situations again. But, you know, there's, there's positives that, that you can take. I think the Rockets have led at some point in each of the games. They had a 16-point lead. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, against Atlanta, and just saying, hey, what lineups work? You know, how how can we be better? Uh, and, and also understanding, you know, you're you're not at full strength. No, no, Jay Sean Tate. I think the one thing you're finding out also is he's he's still not replaceable. There's nobody on this roster that kind of does what he does when he brings to the table. And last we saw him in preseason, uh, the energy, the effort, you know, that. It, it was glaring when he was on the floor and when he was off and hopefully you see him get back soon. But the biggest thing is to stay even kill. Yeah, we got work to do. 
but no, it's not the end of the world. And uh, to me, those are the big takeaways that a young team has to uh, have when, when, you know, playing, you don't, you don't want to be content in the loss, but you know, you know, all is not lost. You were around these guys, you know, for training camp and you've all, you've obviously done this over your career. Take us into the mind of, I guess, what's going through a player's mindset, what's going through a player's brain as a young player trying to get better going from year one to year two or year two to year three. And you're in a situation where there are so many other young guys that also want minutes, also want playing time. How as an individual do you get yourself prepared from a mental standpoint for training camp and and everything that comes with it? Well, you have to establish who you are in the league. And I think the best thing is that our guys are still – figure out what it is, you know, uh, you know, Jalen Green is kind of saying, man, you know, am I a John Morant? Am I, you know, am I going to follow in the footsteps of a Kobe Bryant? He He's figuring that out. And I think he's shown flashes where, you know, he can just flat out take over a ball game. So he's trying to fine tune that. Kevin Porter Jr. is probably saying, man, am I going to be a pass first point guard? Am I the scorer? You know, where, where do I fall into the rotation? Who can I be? And I think for Steven Silas, he's just, done such a great job of taking the reins back and letting the guys go out and play and really be themselves. But the biggest factor here is they have to figure out who they are and you could be strict. You could limit the shots that the guys take. You could, you know, really tighten up a lot of your coach, Steven Silas, but you wouldn't have a chance to also step in and see who they are. And I think the ability to set, to do that, to grab that from the season that's the mental preparation that they're figuring out. And then you go in, and night in, night out, you're the same guy. So you have to appreciate what you're watching. And I think that's that's big for them to figure out, hey, Jabari, man, where, where's the where's the limit for you? Is, is there a limit? You know, so there, there's so many guys with these amazing ceilings and potentials, and you, you're starting to see it. But figure out, man, like Jalen Green last year, hey, man, he started off, you know, playing a lot off the basketball. Then slowly right. he started getting some plays run from him. Then he was on the ball, and then he just turned into an absolute terror, you know, and one of the league's better secrets at scoring the basketball. So I think that that's just what, what this time is. But that's the thing about young guys. they got to find out who they are, who they are in the league. So, you know, going back to when I said picking things from the rubble, you know, they are – I know it's still early, but they are a top 10 rebounding team. I, kn- I know this is something that they, they kind of stress to the guys over the summer. They change some things with their scheme and how to rebound and the get back guys and stuff like that. You've pulled on a lot of rebounds in your career, Ryan. What is, I guess, the key to not only improving as a, as a team unit defensively on the rebounds, but as, as, a, as individuals, like crashing the glass? Is, is there a certain art to it? As a smaller guy, you know, six, seven, and below, is it different than obviously the seven footers of the world? How do you, how do you compare the two, and, and how do you adjust as a player trying to improve in that rebounding area? What well, is? There's definitely an art to it. Um, for one, you got to position yourself, and then for two, you have to attack the basketball, and you know, you got to have a, a, a fine niche for hey, do I need to? How much do I box out versus you know going out and, and pursuing the ball? And there's, it's definitely skill because some guys got it and some don't. Tari Eason, he's a, he's a monster on the board, but you watch it, he's positioning himself before the ball even comes off. Or he'll come sprinting in for the three-point line. 
and he'll know the right spot to get, go to. And he's not the strongest guy in the league, but he just knows where to be. And I think you got to be excited to have those guys and have that culture built. And you got guys tracking it. Like you'll see three, four of the Rockets just crashing out to the basketball. Sometimes they're trying to knock each other out of bounds, but that's a good problem to have. So those are the ways that you rebound the ball. And like I said, man, it's a skill. The ball doesn't just you know fall into Tar Eason's hands on accident. He's going out and, and he's getting it. And notice, just watch him do his work beforehand. And you know every shot that goes up, you know right. Tar Eason may go for. Let's just say on average, he may go after man forty to fifty rebounding attempts, and he lands in with twelve. <laughs> you know, but he's <laughs> going after every single time. Right. Or, you know, teams are going, they'll chart the percentage. How often does Eason hit the boards? He's probably at a 90, 97 to 100 percentile. And this is early in the season. That's a skill, man. That is a skill. We're going to get back to Tari in a little bit, but who can you compare him to? Because he's such an interesting guy. When you talk to him about everything he's been through, all this adversity, but on the court, who is somebody that you can – Compare him to an NBA history of guys that you've played with or against. Trevor Ariza, easily. Ooh, um, okay. Trevor wasn't the shooter that he was early in his career. Trevor developed that corner three just by working and working. Right. But a guy who just played all over the place, um, long, athletic, you know, had kind of an edge and attitude to him and just was a ball player. Like, you remember watching Trevor. Trevor was always around the basketball, always right. making something happen. So – Got a nose for it. Yeah, exactly. So that's that's what I just see glaring to me with Tari Eason. And, and, you know, you Rocket fans at home, you're hearing Trevor Reason, you'll definitely take that. But I think he's definitely a better <laughs> ball handler than Trevor at this stage. He finishes better at the rim. But, you know, Trevor just found a knack, man. He always had the ball in his hands, and he, he found a way to make things happen. Do you, do you see him potentially – impacting or shifting Houston's defensive culture in, in the in the upward direction because you know last year they finished 30th in defensive rating but that was primarily due to you know young players still learning the scheme still growing into their bodies now with a guy like Tari on board do you see potentially what you know these this group can be with the right coach and the right development absolutely uh, I think already I think it's Jabari and Tari for one their versatility on the defensive end and there's a pride there uh, where, where they want to defend. And I think they know there's an expectation where they, they can physically match up with guys. So I, I don't think they're there quite yet, but the mindset is, is there. When you have pride and you want to work and you're tall, you're athletic, you can guard different positions, which is so key and instrumental in today's NBA, you know, being able to switch off and guard one through five, the sky's the limit. But that's something that Rockets didn't have. Look, Jay Sean Tate was, you know, arguably the team's best defender last year. And once Tate got two fouls, man, the Rockets weren't the same. But now, right, a chance, a even though Tate is extremely important, you got three other guys that you can throw out there and, and can play and be aggressive and, and can switch off. And you're not losing a lot athletically. You know, you're switching and it was a small guy switching or, or, or you didn't have the right size. You saw those mismatch right, mismatches right away, but the Rockets got a whole lot taller, longer, more athletic at that kind of, you know, forward hybrids, three, four spot. And it, it's really showing right now. And I know it's so early, but you can, you can just see a different feel. 
I think Tate, and you mentioned this a number of times, but I think Tate is really underrated in the terms of being a connector almost, who's somebody that can he he starter quality, obviously, but you know, with the current dynamics, he's gonna come off the bench behind Eric Gordon and and those guys. But there are lineups that will have Jay Sean in there where if you roll out Jay Sean, Jabari, Eric, you know, you kind of have the fleshings of a viable defensive group. And I think for Steven Salas, it, it sucks for him that he hasn't been able to have Jay Sean healthy right now. Um, but from what I hear, he's, he's close to a return. Do you see, what have you seen from Jay Sean in terms of his versatility? Because that oftentimes gets overshadowed by, you know, the three-point percent and stuff and, 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 everything with that, but just from a playmaker and a defender standpoint, why is he such a diamond in the rough for these guys, and why did the Rockets want to extend him right away? Well, he, he, he changes the culture of this team when he's on the floor. He plays so hard uh, defensively, and on the offensive end, he's always cutting, always moving. He understands how to how to keep the ball moving, and the, 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 the game is not the same without him on the floor. He knows how to play fast. You know, you'll see him go and grab the ball off the off the rebound, and then just go out and push. And that's something that there's like a bit of a delay. There's a there's that that slight bit of hesitation in the Rockets' offense without him. And you'll see when he gets back, wow, the ball pops, the ball moves, someone's cutting, someone's diving. You know, there's just action happening. He's really he's really the Draymond Green of this team, secondary point guard. You know, if, if so, but it, it, things are not happening the same way when he's not on the floor. And if you watch him, he has the same value with the basketball in his hands that he does with it out of his hands. He's timing up his cuts. He's spacing the floor. He's ready to go, man. And it, it just does so much for Coach Steven Silas offense. So you notice the intangibles. And Tate's going to make a lot of those plays that never show up on the stat sheet. You know, we talk about it all, all the time. But when he does that, man, it, it, it changes the dynamic of the team. And I'll say one thing, man. Like I said, they're definitely not the same without him out there. I think his biggest value, potentially, you know, whenever everyone is healthy, with will be playing off of guys like Shangun, you know, stuff like that. But speaking of Shangun, I wanted to ask you because it's it's really an interesting dynamic. The whole Bruno Fernando Alper and Shangun thing. What did you first think of it whenever you saw the sheet of you know Bruno Fernando starting opening night, Alper off the bench? What was your Initial takeaways from that initial reaction. I was shocked. I felt like um, I didn't really see that happening, and not in a bad way. Not that I didn't like the move at all, but it showed me a lot about this season where you're going to have to go in and earn your spot, or we're going to put guys, you know, in a situation where they can survive and they can thrive. Everybody thought that LP would be starting, but guess what? You reward Bruno, who had a heck of a preseason, an amazing camp. It really brought a presence to this team. But in all reality, Al P was really good off the bench. Why change that? What's the difference if you come off the bench and you play starter minutes? Your impact is still all over the game. And I think Al P is just different off the bench. And it's not that he can't start, but you're freer. Your foul trouble, foul trouble doesn't mean the same. And then you're seeing a lot of second strings defenses who end up going small off the bench. So that puts him in a situation where you'd be very successful. But I think that I like that in everything wasn't just handed over to Alpi in the sense of being starting. And it's not that it was a demotion. 
but I think it's best for him and it's best for the Rockets, you know, coming off the bench for right now. So, you know, we'll see how that ends up panning out. But, you know, Al P, like we, we see it, man. He can go out and play the exact same minute. So it's not a, a difference. Right. And sometimes it's a it's a difference in mentality. And guys, at least for Al P right now, he looks more comfortable coming off the bench. And I, I'd love to see him be that megastar starter. I'm not saying that he can't be. But, man, I play with guys like Jamal Crawford and a couple of amazing guys off the bench, man, that made a career. So it, it could be that for Al P. And it might not be. But nonetheless, I don't mind the move at all. The, the comparison might not be exact, but I want you to kind of take your brain back to Cleveland and your days playing with, you know, Anderson Vergeon in terms of that center one, center two dynamic. How do you see, do you see any comparisons? Is that kind of an off comparison? But I just came from the sense that, you know, Vergeon was also a skilled center, you know, and then you yourself a more traditional big, rim running, shot blocking, rebounding. How do you see that Bruno Shangun dynamic playing out? Do you think it can it can work long term? How do you see that playing out? It can out? definitely work. And we saw um a lot of success, you know, Coach Team Scientists like to see it happen. You know, it was Christian Wood and Shangun play well together. You immediately sure up the glass, you know, you get you get bigger and you have some size. And with Shangun shooting, excuse me, passing ability, the offense is always gonna be free flowing. See the fear in today's NBA is the spacing would be gone. But Al is such a great passer. He understands the way things are going, where things are going and where they should be, that, you know, you can put him at the top of the key and you can let him facility, facilitate. And not to mention, you know, he's knocking down enough threes right now where guys have to respect him. You know, he plays some good basketball, but I wouldn't shy away from playing him at that four spot, you know, or kind of like secondary playmaker uh, at, at the center because what he brings to the table as far as his passing. So his passing you know, makes up for whatever lack of spacing that you may believe is on the floor when you're seeing two uh, bigs out there. If it is he and Bruno or he and, you know, Jabari, whoever it might be, but I think Al P can start amongst whoever, and then you immediately sure up the glass when you have he and another big on the floor, if it is Bruno Fernando. Regardless of, you know, Bruno or Al P, whenever either is on the floor, the Rockets are going to play, you know, drop, drop coverage, right? And, it was really interesting seeing their first two games of the year, you know, Memphis and Atlanta, and just seeing Trey Young and John Morant just consistently attack that pick and roll and test Houston's defensive tensile strength. But job coverage is a, is a pretty interesting and in-depth topic. But as a big who's played in that system before, can you, can you walk us through the step-by-step, the expert's guide for dummies of how to play job coverage? Well, every drop coverage is different. For me, I was extremely athletic. And uh, when I played drop coverage, which means I didn't want my man to get behind me, I'm kind of going two-on-one for a second, um, I would get all the way up to the level on the screen. But when you get up to the level, and that's where the, the screen actually takes place, you have to be able to retreat back and make sure that your guy doesn't get behind you for a lob dunk. But when you're playing that drop coverage, the whole key is, I'm going to force them into a tough two. You saw that defense implemented against Trey Young. And even though Trey, you know, ended up getting some, you know, a couple floaters, handful of floaters out of it, he wasn't able to knock down the three and they took away the lob. So that job cover is extremely effective in today's NBA. And what it does is it helps keep you out of rotation. You know, you don't have to help on a roller as much. You don't have to tag if that guy's staying connected to the five. But it, it, it's, a, it's a tough defense when you can master it 
and you force teams into doing something that they may not want to do. Are there are there particular shots in drop curves that you can live with, like those tough floaters or those mid-ranges? Or if after a while, like, for example, whenever Ja, I think there was a point in the third quarter where he scored, might have been 10 straight, but he was just going at it over and over and over again. Do you, as a big in that system, do you try and blitz? Or like, what can you do to kind of slow it down if a player is in an offensive groove that's not going to stop? Look at my my coach and see what he wants to do, and that's part of why we go through. You go through things that shoot around that are tough, and you go over. Hey, man, we're gonna play it. We're gonna hard show it. We're gonna be in our drop coverage, and if that's not working, we'll blitz the pick and roll. We'll trap. We'll do. We'll switch it. You know, you'll get different coverages from coach, and you have to be prepared to go out and execute them. And like anything, um, if if you're struggling to execute those plays, you know, coach may not have the same confidence in putting you out there on the floor to do so. So you have to be able to do multiple things. And I think that's the, the gift of, with like a Jabari and a Tar. You know, those guys should be able to handle any coverage that coach gives them. It defense is right, as intricate right. as offense is. And then you got to know the scouting report. So if I switch you out onto somebody, you got to know how to guard them. And you got to know where you're, you know, wh- what his tendencies are, the way that you want to play them. And if you're switching, you got to know that for – at least eight, you know, eight to ten players, anybody who can come onto the floor because there's a style that you want to see played. You know, there, and I, 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 I'm trying to put this, so obviously within small ball, there, the way this roster is currently constructed, there is an interesting five that people want to see on the floor. I think if you have an Eric, you know, Jabari, a Tate, Kevin and Jalen, I think. And we kind of saw what their small ball could look like early on, but it was about like a six-minute stretch. There are some things there, offensively at least. I know defensively they were hemorrhaging points, but offensively at least, there are some pretty interesting because you have Jabari at the five with pick and pop who's going to stretch the floor, going to force the opposition's big man to... You can't just sag off Jabari. That's that's disrespectful. He's going to... He can shoot... A forty percent shooter in college, and he's, you know, he kind of he hasn't hit the ground running per se, but he's still a quality outside threat. What do you see from Steven in terms of being able to implement those tweaks and kind of have small balls as a weapon? Because the best coaches, obviously, they have different schemes that they go to within the game, but Steven has some tricks up his sleeve. Yeah, yeah, no, small ball is a huge factor, and I think you know ultimately. If Jabari or Tari is end up playing, you know, the four or five, you just get a lot of versatility, you know, for with Jabari, like you mentioned earlier, you know, he has a chance to stretch the floor and you got to chase him around the perimeter and it opens up the lane for who? Jalen Green. And if it's Tari, he's in the lane and creating, you know, passing angles for his teammates or he's going in there to score. But, you know, you get that much faster. But I think the biggest thing, it's not about the offensive end. I think Coach Silas is smart enough to figure that out if he does go small. Um, it's the defensive end. And I think when you get the length with Jabari and Tari, you have the ability to play small. You got the ability to play fast because those guys aren't, you know, traditional posts. They're posts at all. Those are just basketball players. With with And, I, and I, you mentioned Tari. I think that's someone I forgot as well. But Tari, I think from an energy, an energy standpoint alone, having – we haven't seen – Tari with the Jay Sean. We haven't seen the Tari, Jay Sean, and the Jabari. We haven't seen those guys with an Eric 
are in the, you know, those are guys that individually they, they bring a certain level of defensive energy and attitude. And I think for a team that wants to get better, the attitude, the, the want to, the will is arguably the most important, right? So the reason why I think that Houston's defense won't be as bad as some people think is because, and even if, it, if it's a jump from 30th to, let's say, 24th or something like that, this is only year three or two, however you want to call it, of the rebuild, right? So you're supposed to get better incrementally every year. But as far as you're not going, as long as you're not going backwards, I think it's it's positive, right? So do you see, defensively at least, there are times in games, even in the in the, in the three losses where they had a, a a high number of you know positive possessions, positive outcomes. You know Bruno hanging back and drop, protecting the rim, Jabari switching out, getting a block shot. Hell, even Jalen and Kevin, and and that was for me the most important takeaway. Season opener, Jalen Green, Kevin Porter Jr. matched up with you know Trey Young and Dejounte. Jalen holds Trey to one of nine. Kevin holds Dejounte to one of five. Like, what do you see from from those two from a length perspective and how they can someday be, you know, part of a viable team defense. I think the sky's the limit. Like you said, the first thing that jumps out with their athleticism is they, they're versatile and they can guard bigger. They create matchup problems and they're playing against smaller guys uh, on a perimeter. But the thing that stands out for me is trust. There's a lot of guys that, you know, they'd be hesitant to help or switch off on a guy sometimes because they wouldn't want to see their man score or they're going, man, am I doing the right thing? You know, because we give up a bucket. I don't want to give up a bucket. But when you're looking at this, the key is that the trust is there. It's not all the way there, but it's there to say, man, if I do my job, somebody's going to have my back. You know, Jalen Green, if you get switched off onto another team center, if you fight them and get around and, you know, compete defensively, everyone's going to see you got a mismatch and they're going to come to your aid, you know, on the block. Right. And, that's what, what I'm starting to see. And then, man, just physically coming in with confidence. You know, Jalen getting stronger. I think Kevin, you know, being healthy, man, a lot of the year, he was, he was his body was beat up last year. And that's what's jumping out now. And then just understanding the N- NBA basketball. But Jalen's a guy now that is going, like, dude, I'm guarding Trey Young. Like, I got Trey, okay? Match me up with him. And I think that's something that's really cool to see. But – He's taking that challenge, and I think it's something that's extremely underrated because the team may not get a win, but he's doing his job, man. And I think in that first game, he blocked Trey Young's shot and went down and, and, and dunked it on the yeah. other end. And <laughs> Trey Young is probably like, "Yo, I've never seen someone get to get to the ball like that and block my shot." And I, and Jalen's starting to you know get to a position where he's using his athleticism on the defensive end and not just offensively, you know, to score the basketball. And now he becomes dangerous. And, and I'll just throw this out there, man. It's, it's people that don't watch Rockets basketball and they take shots at Jalen Green and say he's just, he's just a guy getting buckets on a, on a bad team or he's just a gunner. Watch our team play. Watch Jalen play before you make any of those assessments. And just unfortunately, you know, when, you, when you're not winning, when you're developing, people assume. But I'm telling you, that's not who Jalen Green is as a player. And I think that's what excites me is because he does want to take that challenge to guard the other team's best player. And we've seen him mature, and that just comes with getting size, getting strength. But his mentality is there where he wants to make a lot of those plays and 
You know, he's putting the work in in the weight room, man. I've seen that kid after the games working out consistently. And it 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 is showed, man. And it takes a lot, man, because after the game, you you want to go and relax. And Jalen's like, man, I want to go work out some more. Right. I want to get stronger. And, <laughs> and it showed in his game. Do you see that for a kid? You know, obviously, if you look where the Rockets came from, you know, losing James Harden and the turmoil that comes with that, you kind of rebound, you you end up with Jalen Green. You get a kid that is super gifted athletically, super talented score, steady improving playmaker and ball handler. Um, but when he first came in, he, he talked about not wanting to force things. And I think that was what stood out the most to me, hearing him speak, because they talked about, you know, Christian Wood being there, John Wall being there, and leadership. How are you going to establish yourself having been a leader all throughout your career to now having to be on the team with a bunch of veterans. And he talked about letting things happen naturally, right? So going into year two, you, you I think you kind of see on the floor, like he's more confident. And part of that goes, you know, to his training, off-season training um, with Lucas, you know, his trainer, Mike Hill, got stuff like that. But as from a mental standpoint, you've gone through, you know, year-to-year development what is the biggest or most important thing you can do to keep yourself on that path? Because we, a lot of players we've seen fall off that path. But Jalen is a guy that has an incredibly high work le- work ethic and who wants to be great. What is the most important thing for someone like him to continue that ascension? It was the correct mentality. Jalen Green, what, scored 20-plus in his last couple games and had that you know monster 40 point blowout in the last game of the season he said man i'm here I have, i've arrived and that's a really good basketball player but i think he's looking at you know the curries the john morants we saw the other night you know the, the the hardens the Kyries, and he's saying man i can go pound for pound i envision myself as one of you i don't see myself as just a role player in the league and that's allowed him to grow as a player so f- for me that's what stands out from him and that's how you make those improvements, but it's on top of putting in the work. And he believes that who who he that's who he is. And you know, Jalen's very smart. Once he kind of figures out this is my lane, this works for me, he stuck with it. And you know, we kept saying like, you know, is he going to turn back? Is this just fool's gold? And nothing about what he's been able to do is fool's gold. His shot got faster during the season. He finished better at the rim. Um, he learned how to use his speed. You know, he started to figure out that guys couldn't guard him. And then that confidence came, and he, he just, like, put the ball in my hands in a lot of situations. I think the next step is him learning how to finish out basketball games, you know, getting getting those clutch buckets. But Jalen Green is just oozing confidence, man. And that, and that's the, the just first off the, the biggest thing because now he's setting a goal and he's a ta- has a target where he can go and aim for it. And you watch him learn. You see the IQ, and he's picking things up. So – the sky's the limit for Jalen, and I love that he, you know, he was skinny, he was thin, because it shows. <laughs> he put on ten pounds. Exactly. Yeah. There's, there's a, there is room for growth. You know, he was good. You know, skinnier. That's ten pounds. He's going to be even better. And he has another ten pounds as he continues to mature. You can tell he's so young, man. Uh, where he's going to grow, and you see the difference already on on the court, man. He's, I mean, he's finishing over like NBA centers. He's finishing. And it's not just I'm faster than you, man. He's going in there and creating contact, man. That dude's creating a lot of force on his drive. So 
his finishing is, is gone to, I mean, I, I don't know if I've seen an improvement in such a short amount of time than what Jalen's being able to do. And I think that's just exciting because I don't think there's anyone that can go, man, in five years, Jalen Green's going to be this. You just don't know. And the improvements he's made in a short amount of time, man, it has to have everybody, right. uh, every Rockets fan, extremely, extremely excited. What is Kevin's role in that too? Obviously the backcourt partner, but he's always, he's also a young player that wants to improve you know, too, right? So as that future backcourt, what is Kevin's role in helping Jalen? You know, he, he obviously got the long-term deal. You were a big fan of the kid. You're a big fan of his growth and kind of seeing how he's been able to overcome certain things. But what is Kevin's role in, you know, Jalen's growth? Well, for one, if we notice, all that Kevin Porter Jr. is not a point guard, his dad. You see his impact while he's on the floor. Now, I think the goal for him, he's got a tougher um, mountain to climb because he is talented. You saw him go out and score a 50 ball, okay, against Milwaukee two years ago. You've seen him have monster games. He's going to have to figure out, how do I turn my switch on? See, Jalen Green has to come out in the games and just be on, score, 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 right? Kevin Porter has to figure out how to get everybody else in, in line and then how to be aggressive with the ball in my own hands. And he's kind of found that niche out. But he's going to have to be a guy when the team needs him. I know where this bucket is coming from. And it's whether it's him scoring or him setting up his teammate, calling the correct play and putting them in a position where they can be successful. That's falling on his shoulders. But he's finding out who he is as a ball player. And he's getting a nice mix of, okay, in transition, I'm attacking to get mine. And if they double me, I'm kicking off. But he'll get the ball, and he'll look for other guys. He wants to throw those lobs. He wants to get guys uh, involved in the offense. But I feel like he's really sacrificed his game, and the ball has come back around to him, and then he's aggressive. Or he knows in transition it's time for me to go. And it shows me to me that Kevin Porter Jr. has been watching a lot of film so that he can go out and improve right. and, and make the correct plays. But all those, you know, what's Kevin doing? You know, he's just not a point guard. All those conversations are quietly gone away, man, because he's doing a really, really good job. And I think, you know, Kevin talked to me about that, you know, over the summer. Like, he said the game kind of slowed down for him. And I think for a young guy learning the point guard position, it's not talked about as much because we overlook it, but he came into the league as a wing scorer, right? He obviously always had playmaking ability, but you know this. Learning the point guard is arguably the hardest position in basketball. Right, because you have to be an extension of the coach on the floor. You have to organize your guys offensively. You have to be a leader, you know, on and off the floor. For Kevin, and we saw bits and pieces last year, the year before, but part of the reason why the Rockets believe in this kid and part of the reason why they sent him down to Rio to play with, you know, to play under Coach Mahmood and learn that system was because they saw that this kid has there's something to him. He's a talented basketball player. There's no no denying that. He only needed refining. And yeah, he was kind of, you know, rough around the edges, but any young kid that's been through what he's been through is going to be kind of like that, right? So he came to Houston, was put under John Lucas's wing, Stephen Silas's wing, and two years on, you're seeing a, a, a young player that's growing into a young man, right? I, I want to ask you, what do you see as his, his ceiling? Who was Kevin Porter Jr. three years from now? Man, that, that's another tough one because he has a top five skill set in the league. 
you know, you're talking about a guy who can go to the rim and dunk on you, who can go out and get you, you know, 10 assists, and who can shoot the three off the bounce. There's not many guys who can make those plays. You know, what Harden, Kyrie, LeBron, I mean, we're really searching here. But has the ability to say, nah, he can light you up. He can score 50. He can he can heat up and get going. So that's the intrigue with Kevin Porter Jr. And I think that the best part is he's coming out and he's not even looking for his shot. He's just getting everybody else involved. He's being he's being cool with everybody else, man. And I like I, I really like to see that from Kevin Porter. But I think offensively, man, when he finds out, you know, when to turn on that it, when to t- when to punch that go button, you know, I remember um watching Kobe Bryant uh, uh, later on in his career. He come out of the first half, he just facilitate, he pass, he kind of get by his teammates involved, and he all right, it's Kobe time. Second right. half is Kobe time, right? right? <laughs> You've seen LeBron James go out and do that. You know, sometimes in the playoffs, LeBron might come out on fire, scoring the ball. Then LeBron might just come out facilitating. You know, Kevin Porter is going to have that type of control over the game of basketball. And it, it, I'm telling you, what Donovan Mitchell, there aren't many guys that have, can do what he does on the floor. And I think it's exciting because he doesn't see Jalen as a rival. He's like, how can I make Jalen better? And when Jalen's out running on a fast break, he's looking to throw that. He'll throw the lob out of bounds to try to get Jalen uh, the ball. And I think that is big. And it's genuine for Scoop, man. Jalen's success is his success. And you don't always see that in backcourts. Remember um, in Cleveland, you you, know, you had um, – Kyrie Irving and uh, Deion Waiters. Deion, Deion Waiters wasn't no pushover, man. I'm gonna tell you that right now. And they just kind of couldn't coexist. But this is a this is a different type of pairing. This is a different backcourt here, man. And these guys really like each other. So, man, the sky's the limit. And I, I'm I'm telling you, man, Kevin Porter and Jalen, they, they're gonna be something to reckon with. They are now, but even more so as as these backcourts and Steph and Clay are getting older, and these guys aren't aren't, aren't playing at the same high level. Of, you know, breaking up and making up through the league. Let these Rockets, let our young backcourt just stay together and see what it ends up being, man. But you're you're already seeing the consistency uh, that they didn't have before. Before I let you go, I want I, I need two wild predictions from you, and I need Houston's win total. So two wild predictions for the season, and Houston's win. Well, total. I wouldn't say they're that wild. I'll say Jalen Green is the most improved player um, in the NBA. Wow. Um, okay. Wow. I'm gonna go out and say, "Ooh, real. This is tough." Uh, I'll say, "I'll say Tarier Jabari, uh, Rookie of the Year." Um, Tari. Tarier Jabari. Okay. It, it, listen, t- listen. If Tari fits in and keeps playing at a level where he's playing at, man. I would not rule out that he could be the rookie of the year, you know? And I like that. I think Tari... It's going to be pretty tough, though. It, it, would, <laughs> it would be tough. It, it, I think Jabari, obviously, from the way he's played... Van Carroll. Yeah, yeah, Van Carroll, those guys. But Tari wouldn't surprise me because he's a hooper. He's got a work ethic, and you see he's going to find his way on the floor. And he could be a guy that just stuffs the, the staff sheets, and you look up at the end of the year, and you're like, man, he... Dude, he's averaging a double double. Like he, you know, now he's not gonna have the Paul in his in his hands like like Paulo, or you know, maybe get the shot that Jabari gets. But I, man, I I don't put him. I just it's, you said a wild take. I don't put him that far out of the race. Okay, if he gets minutes, he's on the floor. I think I just believe in that right. kid. 
in a different right. way. And the Rockets kind of play they, they, the way that they want to play because he, he's he's not okay with being subpar. He he's pushing himself. Okay, so what I've seen from that young man, it wouldn't surprise me. Okay. And I think he's going to get the minutes, and, and he, he's he's just a hooper. So if he has that type of success, it wouldn't it wouldn't just wouldn't shock me. Um, and as far as the win total, and you asked for wild prediction, man, that's that was my wild prediction. Uh, Let's go. Um, and as far as a win total, I'm gonna say uh, I won't be surprised at 25 games. I wouldn't be. Okay. Um, okay. The Rockets are better. Um, they're deeper. They got to get healthy. That's a big factor if it got to get take back and got to get a uh, you know big bruno back i mean that's a big part of it uh getting out on the floor and then you know you're going to get a number of teams that are just going to be trying to tank this year and i think the rockets are like we're going to do us like last year we didn't tank we just did us and our young guys developed and got minutes and got got better we just happened to have that record and we're, we're going to get better we, we ain't playing for no no tanking or whatever just come out and play good basketball whatever happens happens but the most important thing is our young guys get better and when when it's go time, when it's championship time, we'll know it. For right now, it's development time. And I think the Rockets have bought in, Steven Silas has bought in, and the, you, you're seeing the rewards already. They're not there yet, but you're seeing that, those improvements already, as we talked about earlier in the show. Thank you, Ryan. I appreciate you for being on the show. You got to get me on the broadcast soon, man. One of these days, just call me up, man. I'm always ready. I'm always ready, man. But <laughs> I appreciate you for coming on the ecosystem. Subscribe to the ecosystem wherever you get your podcast, Apple, Spotify, Stitch, or wherever. Stay tuned for next week's show. Have a good night.